Soccer Podcast, the soccer podcast about the MLS, U.S. men's national team, and global topics that Trenton, me, and you care about. I'm Alex. I'm here with Trenton. We are the host of the 442 Soccer Podcast, and today we're going to be talking, you guessed it, MLS and U.S. men's national team. Trenton, tell us about it, man. Uh, it is a big week. It is a really big week for the U.S. men's national team. Um but we were going to get to that a little later. I think we just start off uh, kind of talking about the beginning of the season here. Um, Alex, what are, your, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, it's been a wild, really kind of kickoff to the season. Um, you've seen an expansion team come in and jump to the top of the standings. I know it's early. Um, but obviously, uh, Atlanta has proven themselves to be a, a viable contender. Again, it's it's early. So I think that's maybe a bit of, bit of a surprise. Uh, for everybody, but just, you know, the, the form they seem to be in, uh, the goal differential is, is obviously impressive, sitting at, at an eight goal differential, 11 goals for, and three goals against, and I don't care who you're playing against, Trenton, but uh, when you when you put up 11 goals in three games, you're, you're doing something right. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. They are probably the funnest and scariest team to watch uh as a Chicago fan or any other <laughs> a fan of any other team in the league, uh, they're, the, they're the scariest team to watch right now. They just pass the ball. It's beautiful. Um, they put up, I believe, and I don't have the fact in front of me, but it's either 80% or very close to 80% possession against Chicago, who were down a man, but still, I don't care. Um, they just well, look incredible. You said it, though. Chicago was down a man, and that happened early. Uh, t- tell us about that game. Tell us your thoughts about specifically that game because that those two teams, you know, are going to be battling for a playoff spot. Well, uh, unfortunately, going down a man that early in the game is never great. Um, sometimes teams can bounce back just because they basically realize that it's it's you know now or never. They just kind of step up and, and realize that they have to work that much harder. Um, and sometimes teams do it. Unfortunately, the man we lost, uh, Kapelhoff, is our best defender. And the week before had basically played out of his mind. So, uh, unfortunately, him going out, which, I mean, it was it was a red card. He, he stopped him from scoring. So, um, I, going down that, that, that early and losing your best defender um, with so many new faces on the team, uh, it's just the writing was on the wall at that point. Speaking of new faces, so it's not like uh, Chicago's decided to just roll over and and turn turn it over for the season. So they're bringing in uh, Schweinsteiger. Yeah, and that's uh, that's certainly interesting, um, and it's exciting to an extent. I'm a little I'm a little hesitant, and honestly, I'm a little less excited by that than I am with uh, Chicago signing uh, Janino and Dax McCarty in the off season. Um, and the reason is. Uh, He's been injured a lot in the last couple of years, and he's only played 18 games in the last season or two. Um, but that said, he's a World Cup winner, and he was at you know at his prime one of the absolute best midfielders in the world. So even if he only brings 70% or 70 or 80% of his potential to the Chicago team and can stay healthy, that's still enough to make him one of the best <laughs> midfielders um, in the league currently. But the problem is he's not going to be as fast as a lot of the other midfielders, and even a lot of the defenders in the league. He's not going to be as fast as them because this is a this league is trending younger. Um, so I'm interested to see if this kind of you know this game will pace off. 
at least right now, it's it's only a season-long deal. Um, I believe it's $4.5 million that they spent um, to get him uh, for the 2017 season. Uh, so if it doesn't work out, we're no longer on the hook. Uh, I'm, I'm just excited to see him play. I, but at the same time, I don't know what that's going to do to our midfield. Is, is there a way that Janino and um, Dax McCarty and Schweinsteiger can all be, all be on the field at the same time? So it's exciting. Um, Big news. It's been coming for a long time. I honestly had kind of given up on it. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it, no doubt it's been coming for a long time. I think Chicago, for me, is the is the team that the MLS has got to have a great franchise in Chicago. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at, you know, L.A. is about to have two franchises. They've, you know, they've had two franchises already. New York has two franchises. And then you've got Chicago – who it's not only that they've only got the one franchise there, but really the surrounding areas. And Trenton, you can talk about this better than anybody. But I mean, if you're in the Chicago area, who else are you going to root for? Yeah, I mean, really, that's that's about it right now. Um, they're trying to get fans in the seats, and and honestly, they're putting together a much stronger team than they've fielded in in years. So if if getting genuine international talent. Uh, to join your league or to join your team and signing Dax McCarty uh, and Janino and having David Akam playing on the wing. I mean, if, if, if having these guys all on the field, if that's not going to get people in the seats, I don't know what will um, other than just wins, which I, I honestly feel like we're going to win plenty of games this year. I don't know that we're going to make the playoffs, uh, but I do think we're going to win a lot of games this year, which is something um, – We've been starved. <laughs> as a, I've been starved, at least as a Chicago Fire fan, uh, over the last you know four or five years. We just have not looked good. So I think things are on the up and up. Um, just have to wait and see. Well, Chicago uh, trails quite uh, below the rest of the league as far as average attendance goes. Obviously, Seattle uh, leads the league in attendance at an average attendance of over 40,000. Um, the average attendance in the MLS is right around 21,000. Again, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but but just from uh, just from knowledge. But the bottom half of those, I mean, you're looking at Chicago Fires next to last at 15,000, and you were talking about a major city. Chicago is a great soccer town. Lots of uh, lots of soccer history in Chicago. Um, and, and, you know, it's an, it's an immigrant city and look, soccer is the world's game. Okay. So anybody that's living in the United States from another country typically loves soccer and lives and breathes on their home country's soccer games and, and bringing players from other countries, uh, especially these big market names will put, uh, will put butts in the seats. So we'll see, uh, obviously we're rooting for the fire, uh, so that you can have, a better MLS season, Trenton, because really at the end of the day, if you're not happy, none of us can be happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, some other surprises for me in the East is, and this is fool's gold, and I know it's fool's gold, but Orlando City, you know, just coming out of the gates and and winning their first two games has been fantastic to see because, you know, the club, very similar to what Atlanta did, kind of came out and, and got these sort of big-name players with Kaka and Brett Shea, who they have since moved off and is pulling knucklehead plays in, in Toronto, kind of like, hey, uh, you guys can have him. So uh, we're not we're not sure what's going on with Brett Shea these days, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But Orlando City, 
you know, again, I think it's fool's gold because if you look at their goal differential, they've got three goals for, they have a goal against. So it's not like they're putting up a ton of goals. Um, but their defense has been solid. They have played as a unit. They've played as a team. Um, and and they've got a new stadium that, you know, is packed out. If they can keep that energy, and this is what the MLS is doing right now, is they are creating these intimate settings with just the right amount of seats where they can create a lot of hype. They can create demand for the units, for the tickets, and they can get people in there and get them excited about the sport, get them excited about the game. And and that's why, in my opinion, you know, MLS is sitting, I think, fourth right now in attendance in, 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 the, in major sports. Um, and, look, they're never uh, – in the in our lifetime, I don't think the MLS is going to play in 100,000-seat stadiums like Michigan and, and Alabama play in or, uh, you know, like Arlington Stadium. MLS is not going to happen in those, in those stadiums and sellouts. But if you can build these nice, modern, intimate stadiums that house 20, 25, 30,000 people, pack them out, create an awesome atmosphere, create demand for a game that is already the most wildly played youth soccer game in the world, then you've got a winner on your hands. And I think you can see while investors are lining up to get expansion teams in the MLS. And, and, and you know, quite frankly, MLS is, is – is here in all bids, and I think how many Trenton, how many teams or cities are, are up for a team here? Uh, the last time I checked, it was it was about five: um, Minneapolis, San Antonio, Austin, St. Louis, and then I believe Indianapolis put uh, a bid in it as well. Um, now Nashville, I, I know, is going for a team also. You're, so you're right. You're right about I that. I mean, you've got. I mean, you've got cities all over the country clamoring. And listen, they are making uh, they're making private dollars build these stadiums in, in a lot of cases. I think in Atlanta, uh, the uh, they built that stadium with with private dollars, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So, either way, I think it's a win win. You know, I live here in the city of Memphis, where we have one major uh, league franchise, the the NBA, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the city paid for that stadium. And I can tell you it's one of the best investments they ever made because it gives you, you pride in your city. It gives you a big event uh, that goes on in your city on, on a regular basis. The next piece of that, though, is you got to build a winning team. Absolutely. Trenton, do you think that the MLS can continue to grow as a product with with uh, the mixture of homegrown talent, um, sort of the the underlooked international players, and then the veteran big name national players, is that always going to be the mold, or you think eventually this is really going to be a, a big time league uh, like the like the Premier League or like La Liga or Bundesliga? Do you think you can attract international talent from all over the world to play in the MLS? Oh, I I, I certainly think you can. Um, right now. I think MLS is trying to, to move away from the kind of aging DP, the retirement league kind of, uh, in air quotes, uh, description that so many people have given it. And that's, and that's kind of been what it, where, where it's, you know, the league has been at for the last, you know, since its, since its creation. I mean, people who are international superstars or just, you know, like some of the best talent in the world, once they kind of get a little further along in their career, they want to just kind of, you know, go where somewhere where they're not going to necessarily have the pressure. They can just go and play soccer and 
get a paycheck, just enjoy themselves. Um, but MLS is getting away from that. Uh, uh, if you're looking at the DP signings in the last year or two, uh, a lot of them are not uh, Steven Gerrard, and they're not um, Thierry Henry. They're like, look at, uh, look at Atlanta. You have Martinez. He has five goals already. The guy's young. He's a young international um, you know, he's going he's, he's gonna to be huge someday. And he will have basically played uh, and gotten his start at, at, at Atlanta, you know. Um, so right. I, think, I think that the league as a whole is trying to trend that way. Um, and that's why, like, you know, kind of getting back to the Chicago thing, like the, the Bastion Schweinsteiger uh, move is a little puzzling to me because there are so many teams that are trending, you know, younger. But just have to wait and see. Um, I think in the next 10, 15 years, uh, that whole, the whole stigma around MLS being a retirement league is going to go away because you're going to have more and more you know, people like Jordan Morris, who's a homegrown, playing for, his, uh, you know, playing for Seattle, doing amazing in Seattle, and also doing amazing for the U.S. men's national team. And we may just see him on, on Friday if he's not injured. So he's a homegrown, though. And you have, you have plenty of homegrown talent um, coming up. Like if you look at, um, well, we already talked about Seattle, but if you look at you know Dallas and, and some of these other teams, and they're just trending younger and younger, um, and basically I think that MLS is going to eventually be the league where, you know, the Premier League, the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga, some of these other, you know, the larger leagues that we aspire to be, they're going to be buying from us rather than us, <laughs> like, instead of us buying from them, like, they're retiring, they're, they're, they're older players, they're going to be buying the younger players from us. Nope. Right, well, hey, that's, and that's where we got to get to, right? Absolutely. That's where, that's where the MLS is, has got to be, uh, like you said, is, is them buying from us. So, uh, you know, obviously there's been talk of Zlatan coming over, and I feel like that's what you see is, you know, three, two to three years before these guys start planning their real move to come over, which is like this, uh, you know, sort of glory tour retirement phase. I'm going to go, you know, live, live over in the U S and, you know, make all this money and, uh, you know, kind of become a star and build a brand over in the U S. So they start teasing it. They stay over in Europe while they, while they remain in their prime. And then the minute that that slips and the, the Europe money's not there anymore, they've been teasing it long enough that it's like, okay, I'm ready to come now. So it just seems like and maybe these guys all have the same agent, but it seems like that's kind of what's going on with Zlatan. We'll see what happens, but I agree with you that the talent, uh, that the MLS will finally arrive and U.S. soccer will finally arrive when that talent is homegrown, which gives us the perfect segue into the U.S. national team. So let's talk about U.S. men's national team soccer. Trenton, first I just kind of want to get your – you know, just hear what you think the overall state of the U.S. men's national team soccer is right now between a 1 and a 10, 10 being ready to compete for a World Cup, 1 being, you know, not going to not gonna make the World Cup. Uh, right now, uh, if we had to play a World Cup game on Friday, I would put us about a 6 or 7, and really that's, that's mostly because of injuries. So you have Fabian Johnson out, uh, Dion Yuri Edlin out. Um, Jordan Morris potentially out, uh, Bobby Wood out, uh, and those are all guys like that are very very important to this team. Um, least of which being Jordan Morris. But that said, I think come World Cup time, uh, he's going to be fighting for a starting spot. So uh, right now, I think the team. I, I think we're still going to get it. 
we're going to get qualified. I'm not worried too much about that. I think uh, Bruce Arena, he's a bit of a pragmatist. He's going to do what it takes. It may not be pretty all the time. He may not put out a lineup that wows people. Um, but I think that what we need is kind of the opposite of Jurgen Klinsmann, which is the always rotating door of uh, uh, starting, you know, you're starting 11. And I think that just having some stability, which is what Bruce Arena is going to bring. And already um, you have players coming out and saying, that's what was missing. We're missing that unity. We're missing that, um, just that, that teamwork, that, that cohesiveness. Um, Michael Bradley, they just released an article on uh, MLS Soccer today uh, talking about how just the team is already feeling a lot better. It's just, you know, everybody's going into it a lot more confident. Um, but these are must-win games, so they're all going to have to step up. They're all going to have to just work together. Um, you know, obviously being in kind of this do-or-die situation is never a good time to have a new coach come in. Um, but luckily, he's not really a new coach, so <laughs> I think I think we're going to be okay. Um, but we'll see Friday uh, where we stand. So, I mean, as a U.S. soccer fan, I mean, where does this leave us? Is it's like okay? So we're bringing in Bruce to get us through this World Cup, and then we're going to figure something out from there. Do we go into this World Cup thinking, well, hell, if we make it through to the second round, we're, we're happy? Is it is it is that where U.S. soccer is at right now? Um, to be honest, I, I really don't know. I think, obviously, anytime you, you make the, the make it out of your group uh, in in the World Cup, that that's just an imperative. That that needs to be something that you you do every time you go. Um, and the U.S. Has, has been doing that consistently and making it to the World Cup. But right now, we're in danger of not even making it. So <laughs> I, I don't think anyone in U.S. soccer um, or anyone playing uh, right now is worried about what we do in the World Cup. we got to get there first. So uh, keep in mind that the furthest we've ever gone in the World Cup was under Bruce Arena. So that is, that is something I, I think he's going to get us there. And I think once we do get there... Um, once again, I don't think we're going to play necessarily beautiful soccer. We're not going to play the soccer that Jurgen Klinsmann promised us that we would be playing. Um, but we're going to continue playing like the, the U.S. has played for years and years and years. Um, we're going to be physical. We're going to be really strong. And we're going to counter. <laughs> and I think that, the, you know, he's not trying to reinvent the wheel. Bruce knows what it takes to get us there and what, and what it takes to get a win. And that's exactly what is on his, on his agenda. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. I think they're different from that style that Jurgen was trying to create, like this this the the unicorn of U.S. soccer, this you know mythical create creation that was gonna you know play like a mix between the physicality of Germany and the beauty of Brazil, and and I just I'm just not sure that that's ever what U.S. soccer is gonna be. Um, and and, he, and let me I'll give you two things. I'm gonna start with a I'll do the compliment sandwich here. So. Now, on one, I think that the United States is on the right track with player development. You just see what's happening with the under-20 team. That they won the CONCACAF. They're on the World Cup. That's that's a very that's a fantastic thing. Uh, but but in the middle there, it's very disappointing to me because I, I grew up in, in youth soccer in the United States and played in the Olympic development programs. And I can remember very vividly when I was in high school that the – that the United States Soccer Association, United States Soccer Federation, came out with Project 2010. And Project 2010 was this idea that we're going to invest $50 million in the U.S. soccer, and we're going to develop the youth, and we're going to be ready by 
to, by the two by 2010 to compete for a World Cup, and um, and and listen, the United States was you know a, a handball on the line or a missed goal call on the line uh, against Germany from from making it to a World Cup semifinal. So I don't want to slight what the United States has done, but we are not in a place right now in U.S. soccer, in my opinion, to be moving backwards. The United States should be a top 16 country uh, in the top 16 of the FIFA rankings, top 15 every single year, and, and every World Cup should be competing for a quarterfinal spot. You know, and I know, you know, you, you've got like I've got my buddies who are England fans and, and from England who sit there and say like, you know, screw you, buddy. Like we we invented soccer, and you know they they're lucky if they can get out of the first round. You know, in the World Cup. I mean, they've you know, and here we are saying, oh well, we deserve to be in the the quarterfinal every year. I just think with the amount of talent, you look at the way that the United States dominates athletics in almost every Olympic and in every Olympics and almost every sport and all the major sports basketball of course no other country even really plays football um, uh, and uh, baseball you know the United States is is typically the, one of the best countries you even look at the world baseball classic which is going on right now I mean that's not the best US players but hey you know they're gonna they may win that tonight so the point is that we're always right there if we're not the best we're right there with the best and it's got to be that way in soccer in my opinion uh, absolutely I mean I, I I certainly think that and I think that this is probably the deepest pool that the US has ever had so uh, upping the bar absolutely I'm, I'm on board with that um, you know we have the core uh, of our team, a, a lot of them are international quality. So you have uh, Clint Dempsey played in England for a long time. Um, you have Christian Pulisic lighting it up in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga like week to week now. Um, you know, Jeff Cameron coming back from injury, starting at Stoke again. Uh, John Brooks, uh, you know, had a, had a rough week the, <laughs> or had a rough game the other day. But, but other than that, uh, being very, very consistent, looking great. Um, I think this is the deepest pool we've had. So yeah, I mean, we we need to start we need to start pushing further into the World Cup. We need to start really going out there and and you know being top six, top ten, no matter what. There shouldn't be you know where we're thirty fifth or thirty second in the rankings, whatever whatever they happen to be at right now. And the reason I don't know that is because I intentionally ignore the FIFA rankings because they're meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. And, and you you put the you know you put the oatmeal pie on the compliment sandwich there perfectly by saying you know exactly where the u.s is at right now which is they have got a deep deep pool to pull to, to get players from they've got mm -hmm. deep veterans from tim howard to uh to to dempsey to uh michael bradley who has somehow remained he's like the teflon don it doesn't matter how good or how bad he plays like that guy is going to be starting in the central midfield until he croaks over uh, I think for the United States men's national team, um, you know, you, you look at um, you look at bringing Demarcus Beasley has made it back into the fold. I mean, these guys have been around for going on their you know fourth, you know, fifth World Cup. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So, but then you've got the young guys like Pulisic, and you wonder, do they finally have that guy that they can build around? And and you, it's, for me, it's a little bit weird because he's a winger. I'm not sure really how you build a in soccer. You know, is is more than any other. Soccer is the one sport that's not a superstar sport, and you you are do you're better to invest the. 
talent or, or so to speak, the money, you're better to have that talent spread out throughout the entire 11 man uh, squad than in like basketball where it helps to have two or three guys who are great and the other two guys you just kind of plug in. On soccer, on the soccer pitch, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And that's where the U.S. has got to get to where, in my opinion, that it doesn't matter how great Pulisic is, it's how bad is Brooks going to be? Or mm-hmm. how good how good is your net keeper going to be that day? Or your left winger going to be that day? That's where the U.S. has is, is got to get on the next level where they're 22, 30 guys deep in the U.S. national team pool who are all can play anywhere in the world and, you know, start for any other country. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't ever want to go into another match just thinking to myself, well, how bad is Timmy Chandler going to be today? Because that's really going to be where everybody, <laughs> where, where their attack is going to come from. They're just going to go uh, through and around Timmy Chandler. So I, I totally hear you. And, and I hold Josie Altidore to the same standard. And, and you know, we talk, you and I talk about this uh, all the time that, you know, you you show me the stats and I agree. Like, Josie has been a productive forward for the United States national team and may very well go down as the greatest goal scoring uh, striker of all time for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, that's that's very likely to happen as young as Josie is. But it just feels like the, the big stage is too much for him sometimes, whether it's, you know, the hammy in the World Cup or, uh, you know, the going, going 90 minutes without touching the ball and just disappearing. I think Josie Outdoor has got to find a way – to get his nose into every single game, like all the great strikers in the world do. They find the ball. They find the ball, and they put it in the back of the net. And Josie's got to be consistently doing that. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and that's why, I, you know, a lot of people kind of scoffed at him coming back to MLS. But I think that that's – I think it was the best move of his career. I mean, it, it, for where for where he was, he needed to see the field. And coming back to MLS where he can actually get on the field week in, week out, as long as he stays healthy, and <laughs> that's always the question, but as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to start in, in Toronto. And looking at his form and looking at you know the way that that team's been built, he's going to start and he's going to score goals. And he's already started off the season uh, playing really well. So I, you know, going into World Cup qualifiers, I think Josie's confidence uh, is going to be high. I think it's, he's already in form. I think it's... He was never out of form. I think his form is just carrying over from the end of last season where going into the playoffs and he was scoring every game and not just like, I mean, he's just scoring in style and scoring for fun. So I think, like you said, a lot of it's going to, it's going to ride on Josie and it's going to, he's going to need to step up. Um, He's got everything going for him right now. And if he wants, if he wants to, to be the striker that, he could, you know, he has he has so much potential. If he wants to live up to his potential, now's the time. Like we need him. We can't we can't look to Dempsey uh, to get us out of a mess every time because um, he's not going to be around forever. Yeah, no, and that's the point. But I think we're at the point right now. The best squad, the best ninety minutes that you can put out from a U.S. men's national team with Bobby Wood going down. And I may have even made this argument before Bobby Wood went down is with Clint Dempsey in the lineup for full 90 minutes. That's that's just my opinion. But let's jump into this trend. How do you think the U.S. is going to line up against Honduras and give us a prediction on the game? Um, I mean, I think in goal, you have no other choice at this point um, than Tim Howard. Uh, been, he's been looking good. He's looking healthy. Um, came out into the, you know, talking to the press the other day, said he feels, he feels uh, older. <laughs> I think he's 37. Uh, he said he feels 37, but absolutely uh, still 
confident that he can get the job done, and I and I think we all believe that. So Brad Gazan's, uh, you know, having a kid, so we're, we can't really look to him. Uh, he's going to be making a transfer to Atlanta uh, in the summer, um, which will be good because he can actually see some minutes should uh, Tim Howard uh, eventually kind of retire from the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, but right now, I definitely see Tim Howard in goal. Um, I think the real question is is left back. So do we start Viafania, who who looked great in his time uh, not that long ago for the Usman's national team, but that was a friendly. This is a, a World Cup qualifier, and he has not played in any of those. So as much as I would think I would love to see us trend younger and start Viafania and, and see, you know, kind of a, an up-and-comer get his shot at a big game, uh, I'd also be okay with, with Beasley. Um, he's, he still has it. I don't know how. Um, I don't know if he's ageless or what, but, but Beasley can still get the job done um, against Honduras. And he has experience with the team. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he actually plays with uh, two or three different Honduras, Honduran internationals on Houston. Um, so that, that could potentially be something that's very helpful for, for the U.S. Um, center backs, I'd probably, you know, if we, if we have Beasley in there, um, I'd probably have Brooks and uh, Gonzalez start. And the reason that you don't hear Cameron being a center back is because we are missing Yedlin. So we need somebody out um, to play right back who has, you know, that, who's a rock. Now, I, I don't want to have Cameron out there, but I think right now with our, with the, our injury situation, um, you know, not having Fabian Johnson who could play in the back line also, um, you're, you're, you know, we're, we're getting a little thin back there. So I think you're going to see Cameron at right back, uh, midfield. Uh, I think we're going to see, you know, Bradley, no matter what, that's a, that's a lock at this point. There's no reason. And I don't care what people say. There's no reason to ever drop Bradley. He's not done anything whatsoever to make me think that he should not start every game that we play. Um, and I also think you're going to see Bedoya, uh, arena likes guys. He knows guys. He trusts. Um, and Bedoya has been in the U.S. the U S team for a long time. So I think you're going to have Bedoya in there, and that's uh, probably a lock at this point too. You, your other option is uh, uh, legit, who is you know who definitely up you know helped his stock in the, the the time that he spent recently for the U.S. Men's National Team. But again, in the World Cup qualifier, I think you just go with tried and true, and guys you know are going to just go out there and not be kind of rattled by the weight of um, the weight of the game. Uh, also in midfield, I, mean, I think you're going to see Nagby. Nagby, I think he he more than deserves to start at this point. And then Christian Pulisic, which I think at this point, um, the guy is just probably the most informed player we have at 18. So I think I think Arena, kind of like you discussed earlier, I think he's going to try to build this team around Pulisic. Um, not necessarily going to be a number 10, but I think that all, you know, just our attack. And our possession is going to come through Pulisic. Our ideas are going to come through Pulisic and 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 Dempsey. Um, how those two play together, and I think that the, you know they both have a they both have a wonderful soccer mind. It's beautiful to watch them play, and I think that they can get in tune, kind of like how we saw Pulisic and um, uh, Sasha Kleschen and their time together for the U.S. How they just kind of had they were of one mind. If if we can see that same sort of um, connection between Dempsey and Pulisic, uh, then I think we're going to be I think we're going to be okay. Um, the only, I think the only variable in midfield is Nagby. And I, you know, I could see maybe, 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 um, arena starting Sasha question in there because once again, because of injury, um, in which case I think 
Pulisic and Question are going to are going to just continue to to show us why they're a great pairing. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. And then up front uh, with Wood out and Morris um, not training this week so far because of injury. Um, he's been in the gym, but he's not actually playing with the team. I think you're going to have Altador uh, and, and Dempsey up front. There's no other option. Um, Chris Wondolowski was a late uh, addition to the squad. Uh, I think part of that is the guy's just a veteran. Um, he's a great leader in the in the, the locker room, and he happens to live in San Jose where this game is taking place. So I don't see him getting any time unless you know we're up. 2-0 or 2-1 late in the game, we want to take Dempsey out because he's, you know, he hasn't had too many games under his belt since coming back uh, from his injury. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. I'm uh, interested in to think if you, uh, to hear kind of what your your thoughts are on um, on the, the lineup so far. Yeah, I was, I was listening intently because I think you and I, you know, I, I could definitely roll with your lineup and, and be happy. And I think I'm often pleased with, with the lineups that, uh, that that you dream up for the U.S. Men's National Team, um, without a doubt. Uh, but uh, there's a couple of names I didn't hear you say that um, that intrigued me. Names like Zuzi uh, and Zimmerman, the Z's. Um, that that I think I think we could see those guys play. Um, you know, Zuzi's veteran leadership on the wing. You mentioned Cameron. I could see Cameron maybe staying into that center back spot. Um, uh, p- perhaps instead of Gonzalez and seeing maybe like a Zuzi on the wing and us playing a four, uh, like a, a traditional four backs and then having Bradley, um, Bra- Bradley potentially paying in more of that defensive holding position that he plays in, but, but maybe side by side with like, a um, with like a Villa, like, like a Villa Fana, or maybe, um, you know, Maybe even dropping uh, Nagby back there to, to kind of play back behind an attacking line of Dempsey, Pulisic, and Altador. Um, kind of however you wanted to do that, whether you put Altador, um, Altador and Dempsey up front and then just drop Pulisic right in behind them. I, I just hate to see the kid buried on the wing. Um, I know that he, he does some incredible things from the wing, but I think if you're going to – run through him i think he's got to play that 10 spot don't you i mean at some point yeah um again i i guess uh i'm looking at it through the lens of what i think bruce arena is going to field and he's going to do the safe option that is going to just get us points um that's why i think having graham zuzia right back probably isn't going to happen at least in my opinion um not that i think he can't do it um but looking back at the you know, the couple times we've seen him play for the U.S. at right back, he hasn't really looked great. Um, that said, he, you know, the, the Graham Zussi experiment continues in, in uh, Sporting Kansas City. And this past weekend, he looked really good. Um, but I don't know if he's international quality good. So that's where I think, you know, you're either going to have uh, your left back be kind of a weak spot or you're going to have your right back be kind of a weak spot. And I think right now um, I'd stick uh, Viafania on, on left back and just have Cameron on the right back. That way, you know, we're, we're not going to, I don't know. I just don't think, uh, I don't think Graham Zussi is going to be an international uh, level right back. And I don't think Bruce Arena thinks that either, considering I, he's at least our third option. Um, but due to injury, you know, he's there. And I think we just can't start him, not for this game. 
And and see, I just feel like in CONCACAF that we could get away with three big, bad center backs. Even if you just played three center backs like Brooks and uh, Gonzalez and Cameron, and you played them all back there, and then you moved up Zuzi where, yeah, he's in that right back, but you really want him getting forward. And, and like I think of like a Roberto Carlos from Brazil or you know even the way that Yedlin can, can get up and, and get up the field. Because if you can get Bradley to sit back a little bit more in more of a holding position – that's when I think he can be the best for the U.S., when he can see the field a little bit more and then pick those moments to get up and get forward or come up on the set piece and make things happen um, without it all having to go through him. Because I feel like the game wears when, – when he is – when he has to go above midfield, we go as he goes. And as long as the U.S. men's national team has to go as Michael Bradley goes, I don't see us going very far. And that's just my opinion. So I think he's got to be in the lineup, but you sit him back and let him help out on defense and let your wingers get forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess uh, we're going to find out Friday. It's going to be exciting. Um, Without a doubt. I've got my my entire night cleared for it. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to it. We'll catch it on the flip side. Trenton, I think that was a great start to the 442 Soccer Podcast. We're just going to be a weekly podcast right now talking about MLS U.S. Men's National Team, as there's other topics that come and go, we'll jump back on and get other great content for for you. Of course, you can follow us uh, on social media at 442SoccerPod. That's at 442SoccerPod on your favorite social media platform. Uh, and we'll catch you on the next one.